This episode of Epicenter Bitcoin is brought to you by Fairlay. Fairlay is a Bitcoin prediction market where you can place predictions on the likelihood of sporting events, the Bitcoin price, or current affairs. You earn money if your predictions are correct. Head over to fairlay.com slash epicenter, that's F-A-I-R-L-A-Y dot com slash epicenter, to place your first bet today. Hello and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects and startups driving decentralization and the global cryptocurrency revolution. My name is Sébastien Couture. And my name is Brian Fabian Crane. We're here today with uh, Peter Kirby and Paul Snow. Peter is the president of Factum. Uh, he also started previously a consumer goods company uh, and was also working for Cointerra, the mining company. Um, Paul Snow, I saw the first time uh, uh, a really cool video of him uh, wearing his Texan cowboy hat and inviting everyone to come to Texas when we were organizing a hackathon here in Berlin that was later leading before the Texas Bitcoin conference. Uh, now we're here today to talk about Factum. So perhaps let's have you guys introduce yourselves very briefly and uh, talk a bit about sort of the big picture of Factum because it's a complex project. Uh, Paul, do you want to go first? Certainly. Uh my name is uh, Paul Snow. I'm uh, a longtime programmer. I I worked on uh, PostScript back when PostScript was the big thing, and I implemented uh, some PostFix programming languages um, with some other people at the dawn of time. Um, also uh, worked on the Texas. Tears project, uh, building a rules engine that processes eligibility for health and human services um, programs, and uh, now got into the Bitcoin space, um, uh, organized the Texas Bitcoin Conference, which will have another conference in March on the 28th and the 29th, and um, and I got involved with Factum, and. Uh, design this uh, system for creating arbitrary immutable ledgers. Fantastic. Uh, my name is Peter Kirby. Uh, this is my sixth startup. I uh, began my career in the real estate world and ran a real estate and a mortgage and a development company. Uh, later, I started a consumer products company, and I was also one of the early people at Cointera. Um, did, uh, Jesus, everything that was business there. <laughs> For a while, I've been in the Bitcoin space for uh, just about two years, and I joined Factum in September, uh, just basically at the inception when it went from being an idea from, to a company. Fantastic. So I guess we can start off by uh, going over the sort of big picture. And in, in, in broad strokes, uh, Paul, if you could explain to us what is Factum and, and then what are the goals that Factum is trying to accomplish? Well, Factum is a program, is a layer that will um, lay over Bitcoin and use and leverage the blockchain to allow um, clients um, using Factum to create arbitrary ledgers. Um, and by arbitrary ledgers, I mean a, a ledger that has the information in it that is useful to uh, the client's application. Um, that could be exchanges of value the way Bitcoin exchanges value or color coins or master coin. But it could just as easily be logs of information, um, hashes of data that um, uh, verifies and validates the state of that data at a point in time and gives you a sequence of uh, data points so that you can essentially create cryptographic audits of business processes, so um, so Factum is is basically this uh, general purpose thing that allows you to record and document pretty much anything. Um, yeah, just to build on what Paul said and, and simplify pretty uh, pretty quickly, uh, the blockchain provides an incredible permanent accounting ledger that you can build cool stuff on top of, and Factum provides a, a layer on top of that that allows you to build applications that are fast and cheap and actually, you know, don't bloat up the blockchain. 
Yeah. So, um, can you tell us a bit? Is is that the primary motivation? Is it to to avoid uh, Bitcoin blockchain bloat? Do you also feel this is more? It's a better way to do it, a more efficient way. Um, yeah. I mean, what I was looking at with uh, Factum is there are many, many Bitcoin 2.0 applications, and those Bitcoin 2.0 applications get stifled because the first thing they have to do is create their own blockchain, or they have to try to encode their information into Bitcoin transactions. And um, either mechanism um, provides a layer of complexity that is above and beyond the actual goal of that application. So um, if somebody, for instance, wants to trade gold, um, and they want, and and thus they go out and they try to create a gold currency, um, and then they ha uh, perhaps if they are creating their own coin, they're recruiting miners. If they're not creating their own coin and they're using some of the protocols that run on top of Bitcoin, like Mastercoin or Counterparty or Color Coins, then they are uh, restricted with to the um, uh, what they can record in a Bitcoin transaction. That we are looking at uh, the transaction volume going up and, and beginning to bump that one megabyte block limit. Um, certainly, uh, Bitcoin is going to address those problems and perhaps increase the block size or the raise transaction fees to limit the number of transactions that occur. But um, they, that's a, a lot of complexity for someone just trying to build something to trade uh, gold to have to deal with. If they had an immutable ledger, they can define their uh, ownership via digital signatures, and then they just need to have the record of the transfers. And from that record of the transfers, then they can determine the ownership. And they're done. So Factum seeks to essentially enable all those applications by taking on the complexity of how you create immutable ledgers and how you use Bitcoin to secure them. Yeah, I thought it was a very, uh, a very elegant, and we will go into more detail later about how exactly it works, but I thought it was very elegant in how it sort of does away with all that and, and kind of uses the security of the blockchain uh, without sort of having to try to either squeeze in by using transactions in a, a weird way or um, building some sort of complicated layer on top. It, it seems to be a very sort of clean and simple solution. Uh, I, I, well, moderately simple, it's still a, a very complex project. Perhaps we can move to some, uh, to some examples of uh, where do you think this will be most uh, used for? Um, so let me go ahead and take that. Uh, yeah, there's a whole lot of things that you can do with Factum um, that are really exciting. Uh, basically, all business processes have a system of record problem. And those system of record problems cost them an awful lot of money. So, for example, Bank of America recently paid $17 billion for uh, the mortgage scandal that involved robo-signing. And what happened was they basically lost track of the system of record. Uh, that mortgage was issued by some small mortgage broker that transferred it to Countrywide. They transferred it to some Wall Street bank that got that packaged it up into some big, you know, uh, credit debt obligation package, and then the mortgage got transferred, et cetera, et cetera. And along the line, the people who own this mortgage, you know, sort of lost track of that record. And what that led to is them foreclosing on people's houses and not recording payments correctly and all sorts of, you know, really horrible stuff. So in a factum world, a company like Bank of America could record that mortgage and basically date stamp um, at that moment in time, every single record that went into it, you know, there's probably a thousand pages in a mortgage and prove that that existed exactly as it was at that state of time. And then moving forward, every payment could be recorded. If there was a foreclosure uh, situation, they could record every piece of court documentation and prove that they had that entire record from start to finish. Um, and then, you know, when somebody went to contest a foreclosure, they could prove that it happened, or they could also prove uh, the people who got foreclosed on could prove that Bank of America didn't have that document, and they couldn't go back and sign it later after the fact. So 
in that situation, Bank of America would have had the entire record and not, you know, been liable for that very, very, very large fine. So in a factum world, business processes can be 100% honest, which is really exciting. And can I add can I add something to yeah, that? Yeah, of course. I mean, it, um, it should be clear that when you when you record a hash of a document into a factum uh, chain, into a, a ledger that, that uh, a bank or someone like that is creating, that hash is means nothing to anyone looking at that list. You know, because factum is very much like Bitcoin. It's a it's a publicly auditable uh, ch- chain. It's just that. In this public ledger, there would just simply be some hashes. But when I took those documents and I hashed them and compared them to the hash that's in the Bitcoin blockchain, then those fingerprints, which are very un- that are um, for all practical purposes unique to every uh, document, when they match, I know I had that document at that point in time. And and so you have both privacy as well as uh, security and and an immutable ledger. So I guess that solves the problem of uh, proof of ownership of a document at, at some point in time. But how how does it address the actual ownership of the document and record keeping of that document? Does it or or is the, do you rely? Would you have to rely on some other uh, technology to do that? Well, your biggest problem that you have in these situations is is that the system of record, as long as the system of record exists, then you can always go to the system of record and validate and verify the information. And that's that's essentially the system we use today. Um, different banks and different institutions have their own system of record. But after 2008, we had this failure of one institution after another. And so there were all kinds of holes in terms of missing systems of record that had to exist in order to document these mortgages. Now, in the factum world, if those organizations had been digitally signing the data, then that data could be moved along from one system to the next. But when you went to validate it, you wouldn't have to validate that, you know, it wouldn't be your system of record saying that the data is valid. You would be able to go back to that hash that's been recorded that basically those other systems that may not exist now, um, that they went on record saying this was the data at that time. So you're able to ensure that you have all the data and, you have, and you're able to ensure that all the data is still valid as it, as it was recorded by the institutions at that time, even if those institutions go away. And that's the real key. That's what cleans us up. So um, if I could just sort of play out how, what this would look like, I presume this means that, that a bank would have its software, right, where you save documents in maybe a loan applications that and then maybe a feature of that software would be that it at the same time takes that data and takes those documents and it sort of uh, enters it into Factum to prove that ownership, right? And then I guess yeah. later one, someone could go and, and, and rely on that for to have a sort of objective outside uh, verification. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's a um, it's the bank can prove that anything existed without. Um, uh, without, you know, uh, with a p- true third-party verification system. Um, so, like, it's, uh, as Paul says, it's immutable. Like, nobody can change it. It's a, it's cemented in the past. Um, which, like I said, turns out to be... Is, is anybody working on... Yeah, I'm curious, because a, a lot of people, right, when we talk about Bitcoin 2.0 uh, protocols, you talk about these possibilities in the abstract, right? We're building this sort of infrastructure thing, and then people will build... Uh, the, the expectation is people will build things on top of it. Yeah, uh, this being one of them, and it's certainly an interesting use case that I hadn't heard of so much before. So, uh, are, are there already people you know who are working on using Factum like that? Because I think it, you guys won't be the ones doing that, or are you planning on doing those kind of things as well? No, that's absolutely correct. the The goal of Factum is to build a protocol layer and let people build interesting applications on top. So, uh, for example, uh, the details of this are, are still a little bit private, but um, a country reach out to us. They've got a major problem with uh, titles, you know, their title records, proving who owns what piece of property. 
And they basically are looking for a blockchain solution to their title problem. Because if you put a title in the blockchain, there's no way that somebody can go later on and fake that that title was transferred in a way that wasn't true. So they reached out to us, and what we'll probably do is work with a, a third-party application developer or whoever runs their current you know, title applications, and then build a factum backend to it. So every time that title gets recorded, it also gets recorded in the blockchain. So this is probably going to be the model moving forward with factum. People will approach us with a problem, a system of record problem. And we will uh, have a series of uh, technological partners that we can help, um, you know, sort of, we, we run the back end for it and uh, they run the sort of application layer. So essentially Factum provides an API where uh, any, any developer can plug into and use the protocol yeah, absolutely, uh, and, and build apps on top of that. So, yeah. so that, I guess this is one example of, of of how Factum can be used in a corporate setting. Yeah, what are the, some of the ways that it, this can benefit just regular people? Um, I mean, you know, so just for for context, the the prior version of Factum was called a Notary Coin, or the the uh, Notary Chains. Notary Chain, sorry, rather. Um, so is, is the idea to sort of replace uh, notary ser- services? Well, you can, you can certainly use Factum as a, a notary service. Um, for instance, an artist who is working on uh, a song or music or, or anything like that can certainly take hashes of, of recordings that they're making and record it in a Factum chain. Um, again, it would reveal nothing to anyone um, looking at Factum from the outside, but at any point in time when there was a challenge, did you write this song, they, they would certainly be able to bring, uh, you know, provide the earliest proof of recording of that, of that artwork or that song. So, so there's some of that kind of copyright and uh, rights protection that you could use Factum for. Um, you could also use Factum as a mechanism for um, uh, messaging uh, in, a, in a way that uh, is undeniable as well. Um, and you can use a system of revealed secrets that allow essentially relatively anonymous uh, messaging, uh, yet, yet fixed at a point in time. Um, anywhere where somebody wants proof that they had this concept or idea first and uh, they want to have that record. Um, there are a lot of very interesting use cases um, that come into play when you're, when you're talking about um, immutable ledgers and uh, revealed secrets that uh, users can use to protect both their privacy as well as um, just simply being more useful than other tools that we have. I guess one other, maybe one other example, and we're we're talking about this before the show with uh, Brian and I is uh, if if you'd want to sort of store and a document, uh, you could use you know cloud storage, decentralized cloud storage services like like storage or uh, or MadeSafe and integrate uh, Factum into that somehow. So you would have like a, a document that would live in the cloud forever and also be um, uh, cryptographically proven that it was created a certain date in Factum. That, that's right. Uh, Factum could actually act as a directory service and a, and a timestamp service for um, technologies like uh, just general uh, torrents, uh, storage, storage A, and uh, MadeSafe. Um, MadeSafe and storage A don't uh, intend to maintain timestamps and hashes. Uh, so Factum can do that. You, you would also be able to use Factum to certify releases of software because you can have a Factum chain that's keeping the hashes of that software at that point in time um, going forward. And then somebody taking that software could check it against these, these known chains for their validity to ensure that no one's inserting uh, malware into the source. Um, and um, a lot of those kinds of applications. So um, 
what what are the use cases that maybe for each of you, what is the one use case uh, that you find the most fascinating? Uh, well, the one that really excites me is um, recently there was a giant oil spill um, that uh, British Petroleum was uh, participated in uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, which is really close to our hometown because we're in Austin, Texas. And um, what happened there was there was a whole series of contractors and subcontractors and sub-subcontractors. And um, each one of them was sort of keeping track of what they said they did and uh, not necessarily keeping track of what they didn't do. So there was a major system of record um, problem. And when a subcontractor said they did something and didn't, um, and then the person above them said that they did it in, or, you know, that the, the, that subcontractor finished that work, um, you know, eventually somewhere along the line, all those records were not really 100% true. And what ended up happening was, um, you know, a giant explosion, a tremendous, you know, billions of gallons of oil released into the Gulf of Mexico, huge environmental disaster, because basically, like, people weren't doing what they said they did. And then when the court cases all came out, BP is stuck paying, I think it was like $43 billion in reparations and, and various fines, because at the end of the day, they're the people holding the liability for this problem. So in a factum world where every subcontractor was documenting exactly what they did and recording it, and there was an audit system on top of that proving that they did what they said they did, you could go back and figure out not just who's at fault, but like, like, what processes broke down so next time we don't have problems like this. So in addition to, you know, leaving BP of a tremendous amount of liability and, um, you know, sort of putting the finger on who's really to blame, um, you could also build better systems that evolve, right? You know, based on this system of record, we can see exactly what happened wrong and then like fix it in the future so we don't have the deep horizon problems. That's what gets me really excited about Factum. What about you, Paul? Well, I, I think that uh, my, uh, my goal with Factum is to simply create a system where we can uh, inject honesty into systems that just aren't terribly honest. Um, if I look at uh, settlement um, for stocks and stock trading, or if you look at uh, the banking and financial system, if you look at insurance, um, any of the any one of these or all of these areas, uh, the uh, putting an end to the ability to backdate a record and putting an end to the ability to construct a history that 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 an institution can prefer over what really happened um, will inject honesty into these systems. And, and I believe the more business processes that you make cryptographically auditable, the more honesty you inject into uh, the whole ecosystem. And I think more honesty makes a better world. Cool, that's fascinating. It's very interesting. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll get to uh, talk about uh, the protocol, uh, also the Factum token, and just the overall organization of the team in just a few minutes. But first, we'd like to talk about our sponsor, Fairlay. Fairlay is a Bitcoin prediction market where you can place predictions on the likelihood of sporting events, the Bitcoin price, or current affairs, and you earn money if your predictions are correct. So to place a bet on Fairlay, you can go to fairlay.com slash epicenter. That's F-A-I-R-L-A-Y.com and place your first bet today. So, um, we, we, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Factum is a protocol. It's a Bitcoin 2 protocol. And so, can you explain at what uh, level it sits? So, perhaps we, we could start by saying that it's a Bitcoin 2.0 protocol that sits right on top of Bitcoin. It's not built on, on top of some other platform like Counterparty or Mastercoin or something like that. Uh, it does have its own, uh, its own chain. Um, can you go into detail about how that works? Yeah, what the way Bitcoin, uh, the way Factum works is it uses a um, set of uh, uh, a consensus model and a set of federated servers in order to order and secure 
um, the information submitted to it by the users, and every 10 minutes, it creates a Merkle proof of the data that's in Factum and places a entry pegging that data to the Bitcoin blockchain. So basically, you can go through the Bitcoin blockchain through history and look at the pegs and validate the Factum data that was collected all the way up to the last peg. And then in that time period following, Factum is securing those entries using a consensus model. Um, so consensus for 10 minutes, and then you trust consensus for 10 minutes, and then you trust Bitcoin forever. That's the, the basic design goal of the protocol. Um, a little more detail on the protocol. Every, every user can create their own uh, chains, what we call a, a chain in Factum. And it's a, it's a custom chain uh, that they name and they create. And then they're able to put their entries in their chain. Um, when you create a chain, you have the um, absolute right to put the first entry into that chain. And that gives you an opportunity to define the rules for that chain and define the process of auditing that chain. Um, and that's important because Factum does not uh, do any kind of vetting of entries. So once once that chain is created and once that entry has been added, now any anyone can put an entry in that chain. However, when you run your audit against your chain, any invalid entries will be discarded and you can um, essentially create a client-side uh, validated series of events. So um, if I take Bitcoin as kind of an example or any kind of coin transaction as, as an example, um, without the proper inputs and without the proper outputs and the proper signatures, the entry would be invalid. So you can place into a chain a series of valid entries and a series of invalid entries, but as you audit the chain and process it, any invalid entries you'll just discard and leaving only the valid ones and be able to create a perfectly trustable chain of ownership. And the Factum servers themselves wouldn't be in the position to create um, invalid transfers of value because your chain requires certain signatures and, and nobody outside of the people holding those private keys would be able to create uh, transactions that were valid. So who writes, uh, who then takes maybe the rules that were put in this first transaction in the chain and writes, for example, the software that later goes and validates that? Does that the person that creates the chain and you then provide yes. that to others or does everyone? Well, if you, if, you have the, if you have the right to create the first entry, you have the right, you, you have the ability to put a hash of an audit program, a link to a website, um, um, a, a URL to some text that describes the rules for that chain, um, or it, it could even be a reference to another chain that's managing the uh, versioning of the audit program for, um, for your value chain. So you could have a chain that's your audit chain and a chain that's your valid chain, uh, a value chain. And your value chain in the first entry would say, go to this audit chain to, to determine how to audit this value chain. And basically, you can create these structures that basically reflect, you know, the real world. The, that, you know, because the real world's messy and requires updates and, and, and all that sort of thing. So you could also have a, a chain that allows the rules... Uh, to be the rules of validation to be changed at a later time, for example. Well, yes, you could, and and but but all of that should be clear from that first entry. If the rules for the chain should be fixed and non non changeable, then that's what the first entry should tell you. If the rules are changeable, then that's what the first entry should tell you. Um, or, or if the chain has to recognize certain authorities 
Um, like for instance, if the chain is supposed to uh, manage the ownership of a car, it has to recognize the fact that cars can be repossessed by a court. Uh, you, no matter how much we would like the real world to require digital signatures for all chain exchanges of ownership, there in the real world, some things exchange ownership simply because uh, of, a, of a losing a court battle or um, you know some other uh, mechanism. So Factum is supposed to be built so that you can draw the picture that you want to draw. Um, there is no limits. If you can imagine a set of rules, you can define them. That's fascinating. So in this case, could this be, I guess, in the future at some point that the courts would be given some sort of private key that gives them a special ability to sign a signature or that some authority would be defined initially that then would, would verify court documents or, or how would that work? Well, I think that this is what's going to happen. There's been a lot of news about how Bitcoin needs to um, conform to the regulatory environment that exists for the banking and financial world. And what Factum comes back and say, says, you know, cryptography, uh, cryptography provides a lot of tools to audit business processes in the real world. So instead of saying Bitcoin needs to be regulated the way banks are, Factum says, hey, guess what? We can, we can give government the tools to actually enforce the regulations they already have on the books by requiring businesses like banks and financial services to maintain cryptographic audits so that they can be responsible for what they do at the time they do it and not be able to hide behind their um, messy accounting practices. I see what you, I, I think, I believe we call that a switcheroo. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think honest is a very subversive thing. Honesty is a very subversive thing. That's a good statement. I like that. That's interesting. That's fascinating. Uh, now, there, there is one thing that, uh, that I'd like to sort of understand a bit better. Is, can you describe the, the server infrastructure? Um, and, because Factum doesn't have miners, correct? Right. Uh, so can you describe how that works? Okay, the, the users will, will all have um, uh, public keys that they're using to put entries into Factum. And when a, when a user has uh, essentially these entry rights tied to a public key, they can't be transferred in any way. And so, uh, other than to use them to put an entry into Factum. Well, those public keys can be used to vote towards servers that, um, that uh, the user believes uh, behave well and are good players. All right, and the the top servers in uh, in the network will be considered the uh, federated servers, and those federated servers are responsible for running the consensus algorithm. And the consensus algorithm simply records every entry that's submitted into Factum into the proper chain, and that is all they do. Um, we seek to um, maintain a pretty high level of ignorance when it comes to the Factum servers. In other words, they should simply scribe the entries they get without knowing what those entries mean or, or what the value of those entries are. And, and that, of course, makes the servers a little more honest, even though I can't stop servers from knowing uh, information that's publicly available. Um, in order to keep them honest about what entries they place in the system, we separate the payment for, uh, for the transaction from the actual submission of the data. So you submit uh, or you commit the system with a hash of the entry um, when, with your public address, which says, I'm, I'm paying for this entry. But since it's a hash, no, no one in the Factum universe can tell what that entry means. They record it, and that now obligates them to record the entry. Then you do a reveal presenting the entry, and because the hash matches what they've already promised to place 
into factum and because they now learn what chain that entry should be placed into, they are not in a position to censor the entry. They've already promised to put it in. If they don't put it in, all of the nodes looking can see the proper submission and see that it wasn't recorded. So, uh, well, yeah, what keeps them from breaking their promise? Well, they can break it, but it'll be obvious. The other thing is that the, the responsibility for the chains, um, every minute shifts from one Factum server to another. So even if one Factum server tried to censor and not refuse to record the entry, the next Factum server likely will, unless you have collusion of, of all the Factum servers, or then eventually the entry will be recorded. Uh, because the the responsibility for recording the entries uh, shifts each minute from one Factum server to the next. And all it would take is one honest Factum server for your entry to get into the system. So what's still unclear to me is who chooses these servers and the economics, like who, how do they get paid for? Are we talking about like VPS servers? Like what, what type of servers are we talking about here? Well, these are, these are the people that set up Factum servers with the software that we provide. And, and the Factum servers are chosen by election from the users who, who vote with the public keys that both hold entries to be spent into Factum as well as a history of having spent entries into Factum. Both of these numbers are available in the system for um, tallying the the weight of that vote. So it's kind of like a proof of stake, but it's but it is um, weighted towards the people actually using Factum. And since yeah, the users are the good guys. They're the ones recording entries. They're the ones that have most most um, uh, a, a greatest interest in making sure that the servers are religiously recording every entry that they get. And then if I statistically look at the behavior of the servers, I can detect censorship. And one, one of the things we've learned from Bitcoin is when we realize that a, an, an entity, a, a pool, a, a, a mining pool is acting badly, the, the, those contributing to that pool will move because the value of Bitcoin requires the, mi the mining pools to behave well. And so we're leveraging that same social aspect to allow the, the users to remove a server that isn't behaving well, remove support for that server. Um, and, um, and the fact is that the system agrees to buy it before they know, agrees to record the entry before the system knows what the entry is. And that's actually a, a rather critical aspect to our design. So in the future, so I, I, I suppose that there is some human intervention in choosing the servers that will get, uh, that, that users will vote on. Right. Okay. In, in the future, could we imagine sort of a, I mean, if we can tie this in with, uh, with Ethereum, for instance, uh, imagine a, a scenario where the Factum protocol is choosing servers based on data feeds and making decisions like price, uh, speed, stability, and things like that. And that gets done automatically and there's no human intervention required. Um, I, I think that the users always need to be, have a say in the Factum servers because I, I, I can't, there are aspects of censorship that don't show up within the Factum universe. Basically, I can automate in the protocol any decision where all the data is available in Factum, but I can't, I can't automate what is occurring outside of Factum. And censorship is one of those things that occurs outside of Factum. The only, the only entities that can see a, an entry not being um, recorded will be the users of the system. So. I, I think there will always be the users involved. Did I answer the question? Did I understand it correctly? At least having the option. Right? Yes, and I think um, we will want to implement as much automated um, controls as possible 
Um, that's absolutely true. And, and actually, there are certain missteps that servers can occur that can be guilty of, and they will be immediately dropped out of the, uh, the server pool um, if those missteps occur. For instance, if they submit entries that, aren't, that are not paid for, um, entries that are not paid for cannot be submitted into factum. And so um, all the other servers that are um, double checking the work of a server um, responsible for a particular chain, if they see an entry that isn't paid for, that's, that, that a server is trying to place into a chain, then that server immediately gets bounced out. Um, because that, that's some sign of an attack. Can we uh, go a bit into talking about uh, the Factum token? What is the role of the Factum to uh, token? How is it issued? Yes. You know, wh wh what are the economics of that? Well, we're calling our Factum token a factoid. Um, and so the factoids will be issued with the, with the, with the crowd sale. And, and so the, the large body of them will be issued at that time. Um, and then there will be re there will be rewards paid out. Uh, rewards not the right term um, for uh, yeah it is block rewards to the servers for processing you know processing the data and um, and there are fees involved in placing entries into Factum. But this is how that works, and it's rather an interesting design as well. Factum is targeted by to, towards many in, um, organizations that may never want to have a wallet or a cryptocurrency. And so the solution there is to allow entities to sell entries into Factum by simply tying entry rights to a public key. Now all, all a um, industry or company that, that wants to put entries into Factum um, but doesn't want a currency or a cryptocurrency, all they need are entry rights tied to a public key. So they, if they can go to a website and buy those entry rights using Bitcoin or using a, a credit card or whatever, um, then they don't have to have a Factum wallet or know anything about a Factum coin. Well, the Factum token allows that to be trivially executed because the Factum token ends up in the hands of Factum servers. The Factum servers probably need to pay bills, so they're incentivized to have um, interfaces that allow people to buy um, entry rights, and they, when an when a company goes to that website to buy an entry right, the, they pay the server, and then the server converts those Factum tokens into entries. That's the only way you can get entries into Factum, is to convert your Factum token into entries. So essentially, the protocol pays Factum tokens, uh, the factoids, out to the servers for having run the servers. Then the servers can buy the can sell entry rights by returning the factoids back to the protocol. Note that the factoid never went out into the wild. It was never sold for another cryptocurrency for a dollar. So you avoid the whole issue of regulatory money service business or money transfer business because the server is never selling a transferable right to somebody else. They're only selling non-transferable rights, which essentially give access to the protocol to somebody else. So they can have a nice, clean business that doesn't, doesn't uh, fall foul to any regulatory problems. I mean, we want to make the blockchain technology accessible to business with no barriers. And the way to do that is to make sure that they can access it on their terms, whatever, however they want to access it, whether they want to pay with dollars or whether they want to pay with Bitcoin or they want to actually secure factoids out in the, the wild and, and buy their entries directly. Um, whatever path they want should be supported. So what is the business model for you guys then? Well, Go ahead, Peter. This is yours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the value of the um, the total pool of Factum tokens is based on how 
the uh, based on the utility of it, right? The more people are using Factum, the more valuable those tokens become. So this is a really interesting way to monetize open source software, where basically um, the Factum entity uh, is just a nonprofit. Um, the uh, initial crowd sale that we do, which is about 10% of those tokens, um, builds like an endowment for that uh, nonprofit. We also, the uh, nonprofit also reserves 10% of future Factum tokens to pay out future developers. So we have a way to pay with, uh, you know, some combination of cash and Factum tokens, people who continue to work on this open source project. And then for all the people who were initially involved and all the people who participated in the crowd sale, the more useful Factum becomes, the more valuable their holdings in Factum. So um, it turns out to be a wonderful ecosystem where you can align all of the incentives for all of the people who make Factum successful. The users, the developers, the future developers, and the initial crowd sale participants. So um, what happens, first of all, what happens with these other 80% or 90% um, and... Uh, when is a crowd sale, uh, when is that going to happen? Let me answer that in reverse. Um, so the crowd sale is planned for mid-February of 2015, so in a few months. Um, we want to uh, have the beta version of the Factum system working prior to that crowd sale. So that's the, uh, the most important thing for us. We want people to be able to both buy Factum at a crowd sale and start developing right away. Um, the remaining two-thirds of those tokens are the ones that Paul was talking about will, that will continue to pay for the hardware backbone. The Factum servers and the audit process will continue to get paid, sort of like an analog to mining, um, but that they will run the hardware that runs the Factum system and earn Factum as a result of that. Um, I have another question. So if, um, you know, if there is a certain number of factoids, uh, whatever it is, and uh, are they divisible or what happens if the, the demand for that just uh, explodes gigantically? Um, could, could you run out of factoids? So a factum token will buy a certain number of entries into the system. Um, and then when those entries get bought, that Factum token, you know, essentially pays that Factum server. So it gets recycled back in the system in a way that you could never run out of Factum tokens. Now, over time, as hardware gets faster and, uh, you know, sort of competition builds for entries, um, the price of how many entries a Factum token buys can increase. So it could start at 100 and then go to 1,000 and then go to 10,000 as it becomes more and more um you know, as the hardware becomes more efficient. Um, so eventually the price of an entry goes down, but um, the number of Factum tokens that are introduced into the system can stay, you know, fixed over the entire time, or at least have a, a standard release of them to the audit servers. Ah, okay. Yeah, that answers. Because otherwise you might run into the situation, you might run into a situation where you can only buy at least like a thousand at a time or something. But of course, if it's visible like Bitcoin, then you don't have that issue, right? We want to create a limited, you know, a, a scarcity of tokens so the value goes up. But we also don't want to um, hamstring the system at all because you can't buy what you need to. Yeah, I think this makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's such a fascinating model. Now we're, we're seeing it like again and again and again uh, with like this way of having decentralized open source systems that can still be like really interesting businesses in this way. So, I mean, it's, yeah. of course, extremely similar in this way to Ethereum or storage yeah. or a lot of other projects in this area. Well, and um, our chairman, David Johnston, uh, is one of the pioneers of, of this sort of model for monetizing open source software. Uh, you, you'll know David because he was obviously involved in the uh, Made Safe crowd sale and, uh, and a couple of the other major ones. And he wrote a white paper all about how um, this new model allows you to build really wonderful open source software that solves a lot of major problems in the world and not have to rely on the venture capital model or an equity model or a separate company that, um, you know, basically builds a consulting on top of it. You know, you can actually build value for the open source project. Yeah, we spent quite a bit of time describing that model with him uh, last week, actually. And in a lot of ways, I think perhaps you you fall within uh, the, the 
the framework of the of that DAPS white paper uh, on the crowd sales side, but also you know being a nonprofit foundation. Um, now, touching on that, can you sort of describe your organization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, as I mentioned, David Johnson is the chairman, and uh, Paul, who's uh, on the other line, is the CEO. Um, Paul is also the sort of lead architect, developer, you know, he- heading the code side. Um, I'm the president of the company. I do mostly the business development and, uh, you know, fundraising and all that sort of, uh, that sort of uh, everything that falls under business processes is sort of my jurisdiction. Um, we have a team of five developers, um, uh, a gentleman named Bo Wang and a gentleman named Jack Liu. Um, who are Chinese coders. They live in Austin. Uh, lots and lots and lots of background. I think they have about 20 plus years of experience each. Uh, Brian Deary is our lead architect. Uh, he's helping Paul both write the white paper and rough out the overall architecture design. Uh, there's a new gentleman named uh, Matthew Bing who's just joined our uh, team on Monday, and uh, he'll be doing a lot of the server-related coding. Um, and then we have a whole t- team of advisors, um, people like Steven Sprague, who have a tremendous amount of depth in security and uh, blockchain technologies and other tools that we can sort of rely on to help us uh, and help guide us on specific technical matters. So you mentioned that there was a crowd sale taking place in February. What's the timeline on development looking like right now? Um, so there's basically four steps in the development cycle uh, in our roadmap. The first one was getting that proof of existence piece right. Uh, that was in place um, this summer. Um, the next step was basically building the factum chains and making sure that every factum entry can basically talk to the other factum blocks so you can chain those records together. We have that in place. Um, they're building the APIs right now for that, and that's going to be released in mid-November along with that version 1.0 of the white paper that we're finalizing right now. Um, So pretty soon, within the next few weeks, um, developers will actually get to play with Factum uh, using the API calls on a test server. So they can sort of experiment with it and start seeing like, start building the kinds of applications that they want to develop for. Um, In early 2015, it's probably looking like about January, we'll have in place um, the more beta version of it, uh, which is going to include the federated server model that Paul described, and also the tokenization mechanism, like who gets what tokens and and at what rate. Um, So we'll release that in early 2015 prior to the crowd sale. Cool. Great. Well, this is super fascinating. I'm really excited we've had you guys on because I think this uh, this is one of the most exciting projects I think I've I've come across. Now, there's one question I want to ask about also partially uh, for selfish reasons because I, I organized the Bitcoin meetup in Berlin and I'm giving a talk. I'm giving a talk on Tuesday about sidechains. So I've been thinking a lot about that. Oh, fantastic. And I'm really curious. What, what do you guys think? Um, assuming sidechains work out and they sort of live up to their promise, would that in any way uh, affect Factum? Uh, n- no. What's really cool about the way sidechains is building their project um, is that uh, Factum can lay right on top of those sidechains just as easily. Uh, you know, Factum just writes hashes into a blockchain. So if it turns out that sidechains evolves to be, you know, blockchains for sp- or you know, sidechains for specific functions, um, and they want to run Factum tools on top of those, piece of cake. Factum is blockchain agnostic. Um, and in a similar sense, like if it turns out that Ethereum builds a really robust blockchain and people want to do interesting projects on top of that blockchain, you can use Factum for that too. So um, the tools that we're building fit really beautifully into the ecosystem as it evolves. But would you have to uh, fork Factum and have like, you know, a Factum Ethereum, a Factum sidechains, a Factum Bitcoin, or could it be one Factum that sort of simultaneously runs on all those systems? You could write into the Factum protocol to write to multiple blockchains, right, Paul? Yes. Uh, well, the, the observation is that Factum doesn't actually move value natively. I mean, mostly it's, a, it, it's an immutable ledger. And so it's the client that decides what to pass into Factum. And so if, I'm, if my proofs are running down into Bitcoin, that's, that's fine. If their proofs are running down into Ethereum, that's fine. But, but Factum itself doesn't interact with either. 
um, if the sidechain protocol, yeah, um, when that's in place, we can actually create sidechain uh, sidechains that are running in Factum. It may require us to add um, a little more code into our system to handle those chains differently, because uh, we have to. We would have to have that chain conform to the uh, specifications of sidechains, but that would allow someone to actually move Bitcoin value into a factum chain where it could um, have expanded um, uh, protocols built on Bitcoin and then have the Bitcoin value come back into uh, uh, Bitcoin. You know, so if Bitcoin moves into factum, it bounces around in factum and then it moves back into the Bitcoin um, protocol. So. Uh, so basically, I think that sidechains um, is a incredible opportunity for Factum. Um, that's the way I look at it. So, so in a sense, Factum could be a type of sidechain, almost. Yes, absolutely. Cool. I think I think David made a pretty strong point last week about you know the need for inoperability between. Uh, between all these different protocols, and uh, you know, perhaps when that inoperability begins, really to be a sort of a default feature in all uh, all these protocols, um, then we'll really start seeing a lot of interaction between them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, to build on David's point, the the more um, interactive all these protocols are, the more likely they are to be adopted. Right? You know, we want to play with uh, protocols that play nice in the same ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, one thing that that he had mentioned that I hadn't really thought about earlier is, uh, you know, the the, the idea that we sort of see these protocols as being in competition with each other, when in fact they're not. They should be learning from each other. And and if you think about it, I mean, we we could imagine a future where you build an app or you build some piece of software, you build a service that uses multiple components. You could be using Factum for one thing. You could be using Ethereum for something else. You could be using uh, Counterparty or you could be using Colored Coins and and have that all built into one piece of software. uh, And the inoperability allows for value to move from one to another. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good way for this, the ecosystem to evolve. Um, everybody plays nicely together. Uh, yeah, before we wrap up, um, is there something else you guys want to briefly mention or uh, talk about? We've really covered a lot. And uh, on the other hand, we could go for another hour if you wanted to. Uh, <laughs> there's a, There are a lot of ramifications uh, to the protocol and uh, a lot of interactions and... Um, yeah, we, we would encourage people to go to the factum.org and learn more about factum. And there you go. And definitely read the white paper. We're, uh, we're also... Twice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, it's on the 17th, we'll be releasing that version 1.0 of the white paper. Um, look at it, read it. We're, we're open to feedback. It's not just open source, but it's also open development. So we're getting all the technical thought leaders and all of the really smart people that we know to read it, give us feedback, push back on some things. We want to make this a project that uh, people are excited about developing on. And uh, the first step is that they, uh, they read that paper and they give us the feedback that we need to move it forward. And where can people find the paper? Um, that'll be on factum.org uh, as of the 17th. Um, and it's going to be in the GitHub repository also. Okay, so that's uh, github.com slash factum project. Now, just to be clear, there is another, I mean, there's a, a previous white paper called Notary, uh, Notary Chains. Uh, not to be confused with that paper. It, it is factum project, and you find it there in the factum docs. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and, correct. Uh, and uh, when we go to uh, release, we'll make sure that all the Notary Chains stuff change is totally cleaned out. Yeah, we'll also add it to the show notes at episodeofbitcoin.com. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, when it comes out, and we'll definitely tweet about it. Um, well, uh, thanks so much, guys, for joining us today. Uh, that was super fascinating, really interesting, and I'm extremely excited to see how this uh, turns out and also look forward to reading the white paper again when it's kind of in a wrapped up, nice, uh, and clean form. Um, so thanks so much. Fantastic. Thank you. We really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Well, and uh, thanks so much also to our listeners for listening. Uh, it was a pleasure as always. 
If you want to uh, follow us on Twitter, we're at Epicenter BTC. You can also uh, subscribe to our newsletter, which goes out every Friday. Uh, and you can do that at epicenterbitcoin.com slash newsletter. You can also uh, donate to us, epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips. And uh, leave it us that tune you so people can find the show and let us know what we're doing well and what we can still improve. So uh, thanks so much, and we'll be back next week. With uh, actually, we'll be doing uh, we will do the episode with uh, uh, Ariana Simpson of Bitgo. Right. So we've got Ariana Simpson and Gems coming up in the next few weeks. So uh, stay tuned on the Twitter uh, feed and also on our Google Plus page. We'll be announcing that there. Okay. Well, thanks so much, and we will be back next week. Have a wonderful day. Thanks again. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs>